Well, it is um, an honor to be here with y'all today. I feel like I've sort of finally graduated to the big leagues. We're teenagers for a little while, and then men and women, and now just women, so I feel like I've graduated or moved up the corporate ladder or something like that. Um, but it is great to be here with y'all um, thinking about prayer and praying, and hopefully we'll, you'll actually do more sort of talking amongst yourselves and praying today than listening to me, um, because the idea behind this was sort of um, practicing, giving one another categories and then real opportunity to practice praying, which is actually real praying also, so it's a double win. And uh, all this sort of content was birthed out of uh, the pastors talking um, sort of early last quarter of last year about a conviction that we all had that we wanted to grow in our prayer lives. Um, and one of the things that Robbie said is, I don't want to get to the end of my you know, race here and realize that I'd talked about God more than I talked to God. Um, and so we started, I started doing some of these exercises that y'all have been doing back in November, I think, of, of last year, and uh, have continued to do them. And it's really been a rich experience. And I feel like the Lord has really met me and our family in some powerful ways in that. So it's great. It's good stuff. And I'm thankful to get to be here and share with you guys a little bit today about lament and confession um, but to get us started, if if I'm understanding this correctly, you guys had some homework from last week. Um, you were supposed to, I'm not sure what it was, but I know that you had some. Uh, you were supposed to exercise, pray for 15 minutes for X amount of days or something like that, and uh, read some psalms and meditate on them. And so I just want to start out with giving y'all about maybe five minutes or so to talk about that in your table groups. Um, so, t- so just as a few prompts, what has this experience been like for you so far? Uh, what have been the challenges of trying to set aside particular times of the day to pray with particular patterns? Uh, what have been some of the benefits or blessings? How's the Lord met you in those places? And then as you think about these Psalms, um, what are some of the things that jumped out to you guys about that? And uh, maybe even to give you a few more categories for thinking through the Psalms, something that I'm always looking through when I'm working through a passage is um, really three things. Like what is sort of the human need or the human experience element of this psalm? Uh, and how does God speak into that? So how does, based upon our need uh, or our human experience, how does God meet us in that experience? How does he meet that need? Uh, what's the divine provision? Um, and then what's the human response? So we have this need, God meets it in a particular way, and then how do we respond? So I think those are just three helpful, really helpful questions to think about any text. So Talk amongst yourselves. You've got the next five minutes. Well, all right. Hate to cut off y'all's conversation, but let's go ahead and jump into uh, your worksheets that you guys have got here. Um, and we'll have some more time later for prayer and conversation. But uh, so this week we get to talk about lamentation and confession. And the thing that Hey, it's not very loud. It went down. <laughs> well, hey, y'all, let's jump in here. Um, so this week we get to talk about lamenting, prayers of lament, and prayers of confession. And uh, those go really well together because both of them are essentially uh, acknowledgments. They're prayers to God 
um, about the fallenness and the brokenness of this world. And you can see on your first, on your worksheet here, there's a, the top green box lists something called four key relationships. Okay. And this is a really helpful, uh, sort of diagram or categories for thinking about not just this, but really the whole gospel story. Um, and so what you see here is that, um, this is, this is a super simplistic picture of like, of everything, of everything that there is. Okay. So you see here, we've got a creator God who creates, he speaks the world into existence. Um, so we see God in creation. So God speaks and there's a created world. Okay. So God has a relationship with his creation. Uh, and then we see that God speaks and there's human beings in the world, his image bearers. So God has a relationship with uh, humans. So think of that as self there. Um, and then we as human beings have relationships with other human beings. So there's your others. Uh, and we as human beings also have a relationship with the created order. So the way we relate to the world, I mean, you can think of the first commands that God gives to people is to to tend the earth, to cultivate the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, so these are our four key relationships. Human beings have a relationship with God we have a relationship with others. We have a relationship with creation. And then we also have a relationship with ourselves. Okay, so this is sort of your, your self-conception, your self-talk. I mean, think about the things that you say to yourself in your head. Um, wonderful things and terrible things. So we have a relationship with ourselves. And this is, this is the world. This is the cosmos, okay? Uh, and everything is good in Genesis 1 and 2 until it's not in Genesis 3. Okay, so sin comes into the world, and all of these relationships are fractured. All of these relationships are broken. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with the created world is broken. God tells Adam and Eve, you're going to work, and by the sweat of your brow, you'll have food. The earth won't produce for you the way it was intended to. Uh, our relationships with one another, Adam and Eve immediately start blaming one another, blame-shifting, They're hiding from God. Uh, and our relationship with ourselves is broken. The things that we say to ourselves uh, often is deeply unkind. So all these things are broken, okay? Uh, now, the beautiful news, the good news, is that uh, God in his kindness is also putting all these things back together, right? So he sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to live for us, die for us, be raised again from the dead for us. And through his resurrection, a new creation, a new created order has already broken in, and one day is coming in its fullness. So the cross puts all these things back together, imperfectly in this life, to be sure, but we're reunited in relationship with God. We can have healthy relationships with one another. We can take care of the earth and enjoy our work instead of hating our work and not taking care of the earth, uh, and we can have a healthy relationship with ourselves. So the cross puts all these things back together, okay? And yet... There is ongoing sin in our lives. There is ongoing sin in the world. Things are not all the way as they should be. Uh, and so God has given us uh, the tool of prayer, particularly uh, today, prayers of confession and lament, to be honest about those things with him, to cry out to him when we experience these things. Okay, And we'll start, your sheet actually starts with lament, but we're going to start with confession uh, first because... Um, because we need to deal with our own sins before we worry about the sins of others. So confession is being honest with God about our sin. And uh, I'll give you just about a, a minute here, not a lot of time, but I want you to think about with your groups, uh, why is confession hard to do? Why do we resist? And I'll just 
assume that we do on some level. Uh, why do we resist being honest with God and others, actually more others than God? Uh, but what's difficult about confession? Why do we, why do we, why is that hard? Okay, so you got a minute. Talk amongst yourselves. All right, if anyone is super brave from your table, would you be willing to share with us as a group uh, some of the things you guys said? Why confession is hard? Because we're prideful. So we just don't want to admit. Yeah. Fear. Yeah. Fear of rejection, shame. I think shame is a hugely problematic issue for all human beings. Uh, some would say that shame is uh, the, the fundamental human experience. And you think about what Adam and Eve do immediately after they sin, they hide from God and they hide from each other, right? That's what shame is. We're hiding, okay? Um, why would we hide? We're embarrassed, yeah. Um, and I think we're scared, right? Um, so Adam and Eve knew they had been told what would happen, that they would die. They would die, die. They would certainly die when they sinned. And so I think they're scared, right? And uh, so behind shame uh, is a fear of God, which on one level is right, um, that, and I've used the phrase here, indictment or inv- invitation, that our confession of sin God will, is an indictment against us, that God will hold that against us, right? And people do that, absolutely. We're afraid to confess our sins to one another uh, because you might use it against me later. Um, and you see that all over our culture. Nobody ever admits they're wrong to anything they ever did because it's an indictment. Um, but what I want you guys to see here is that because of Jesus— Because we have a great high priest who's entered into the most holy place, confession is actually an invitation to deeper relationship with God. It's not an indictment, okay? And the word confession, uh, the Greek word for that, uh, basically means to agree. It means to say the same thing, okay? Homologo, say the same thing. And God knows our sins. He knows everything that we've done. He knows all the things that we've thought. He knows the things that we would be absolutely mortified if anybody else knew, God knows those things already, okay? Uh, He sent his son to live for those particular sins of ours, to die on the cross for those particular sins, not sin in some general sense, but for real, actual sins that we have committed and for our sinful nature. God knows those things, okay? Uh, We cannot surprise him with our confessions, but we can agree with him. We can acknowledge, God, that you are right, about who I am, and you are right about who you are. So confession is an invitation to get on the same page with God. It's an invitation to be in agreement with the creator of the universe. It's an invitation to walk with God. And so if you think about the opposite of that, not not confessing our sins uh, is holding God at arm's length and saying, I don't want to be that close to you. I don't want to walk in step with you. Um, I'm better off over here. And if you can think about just in a human relationship, so for instance, those of you who um, are married uh, or have been married, um, if you or your spouse have sinned against one another and you know that you have and you've not acknowledged that, you've just sort of not dealt with it, like it's just not okay, right? You know that you, that's just not, that relationship's tense 
until somebody finally says, hey, I, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Okay. Um, and it, it does. It puts you in a vulnerable position to not just say that I'm sorry, but to ask you to forgive me. Right? Because you might not forgive me. Um, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that we know assuredly that God will forgive us when we're honest about our sins. So this is an invitation uh, to walk in step with God and to be honest about ourselves. And we're going to look just very briefly on um, one of your pages there. You should have Psalm 51 with some note-taking space beside it. And like I said, we're doing this out of order than I think the sheets that you guys have. But um, we're going to just a very, uh, hopefully not superficial, but simple walk through this. And this is a psalm of confession. Uh, this psalm was written by David uh, after he was indicted. Um, Nathan the prophet came and put his finger in his chest and said, you're the man, you're an adulterer, and you're a murderer. And David confessed. He penned uh, this psalm and also Psalm 32. And this is a, just a beautiful picture for us of what confession is. And fundamentally, three things we'll see about this. Again, this is very simplistic. There's a lot more we could say about this. Um, but that in this prayer of confession, uh, we see agreement with God about who he is, agreement with God about who we are, and then finally agreement about those around us, our other relationships. Okay. So first thing you see here in the first couple of verses, agreement with God about who he is. God is merciful. He's a God of steadfast love. He's a God of abundant mercy. Who's a God who blots out our transgressions. He is a God who washes us of our iniquity and cleanses us of our sins. So we start there with who God is and his posture towards us. We see it's an invitation. The God that we're coming to with our sin is a God who has already forgiven our sin in Jesus Christ. He won't condemn us. He doesn't indict us. He intercedes on our behalf. He is for us. His fundamental posture towards his people is mercy. And you've got to start there because if God is angry at you, I don't want to bring my sins to an angry God because there is indictment for sin that is not forgiven. But all of our sins, past, present, and future in Christ are forgiven. So we begin our prayer just acknowledging who God is. God, you are a merciful God, abounding in steadfast love, covenant love towards your people. So that's who God is. He's a merciful God. Uh, And then you see here in verses 3 through 12, agreement with God about who we are, about what I've done. And you see David starts there in verse 3, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's acknowledging here particular sins, right? He's honest about very specific things right? My transgressions, my sins. And we know what those are because of the rest of the scriptures. Um, And so when we confess sin to God, we're specific about it. Lord, I'm sorry for um, my unrighteous anger towards my spouse, right? I'm sorry for mismanaging the finances that you have given me for being foolish. I confess that I have not loved my children well. So we're very particular about that. And again, we can do that because God's forgiven those sins already. You also see here that he's acknowledging that sin is primarily against God itself, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Sin is against other people. We'll say something about that in a second. But fundamentally, uh, sin is against our creator. Sin is a breaking of shalom for which we are held guilty. Uh, Sin is failing to live up to God's commandments. It's 
actively transgressing them. It's falling short of his glory. It's not being who we were created to be. But then you also see here in verse 5, so there's actual sins, the actual things that we've done. But there's also uh, what theologians will call here original sin. I was created, right? I was in my mother's womb. I was conceived sinful, born in iniquity. Like we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. So there's also a place here while we're acknowledging particular sins to just say like, God, my, my fundamental posture, which changes after we become a believer to be sure, but like it's just baked into who that I am, that I do not love you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I do not love you with love my neighbors as I would desire to be loved. So we're also acknowledging that like, God, I'm, I'm prone to sin. I'm prone to wander, prone to leave the guard, the God that I love. Yes. Yes. So you're at, so when Adam and Adam sinned on all of our behalf, thanks Adam. Um, and, but we would have done the same thing or worse. So we have to agree that. So yeah, that's original sin. You were, you were born, you were conceived, uh, guilty. <clears throat> and it's because of that. It's because we're born with that sin nature that our actual transgressions come. So we do sinful things because of our constitution as sinful people. Um, but you also see here there's an acknowledgement, there's a turn um, about who we want to be, right? What God does in us and changes our desires in our hearts, starting in verse 6. Uh, you delight in truth and the inward being. So this is, who I, this is who I want to be, right? I'm agreeing with God about that too. I want to be a person who in the, the, innerest, the deepest parts of who I am uh, is characterized by truth. Right, purge me with hyssop, wash me. Um, let me be a joyful person, a glad person. Let the bones that you have rejoice, broken, rejoice out of the consequences for my sin, because they lead me to you and honestly in a deeper relationship with you. I can actually rejoice. Right, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, restore to me the joy of your salvation, uphold me with a willing spirit. So God renews us. That relationship uh, is never when we sin. It's not like that relationship, if we're in Christ, is ever fully severed, fully broken, because we're in Jesus. It's all about what he has done, not what we do. Um, But again, think about a marriage is a good example here. If I sin against my wife, she's still my wife, right? Um, Hopefully. (laughs) Um, So we're still in a relationship with each other, but that relationship is tense now. It doesn't destroy the relationship, but it puts tension in the relationship, right, until we're reconciled. So it's it's like that with God, too. We feel that tension. We feel God's frown upon us sometimes because we're not living into the reconciled relationship that we have. And then lastly, here in verse 13, you see there's this really interesting turn. Um, After he experiences this, after he confesses to God, God, this is who you are. This is what I've done. This is what I want you to do in me. Uh, there's an outward, there's a horizontal outward facing posture. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Um, he's pursuing other people because of the reconciliation that he's experienced with God. It puts him in a right posture with others to love and to serve other people because of his experience of grace with God. And if you're running from God, if you're hiding from God, you're hiding from other people too, right? 
If I'm not walking with Jesus, I'm not loving other people well. And so my relationship with others is really dependent upon the degree to which I'm walking with Jesus. So it restores relationships. Um, because sin against God affects those around us. Okay? So this is confession. It's an invitation to walk with Jesus. It's an invitation to a deeper relationship with God. And this is one of the reasons we do this every Sunday as part of our liturgy. And uh, they're, not, they're not magic words. It's not a magic spell. It doesn't work just because you say them if you don't mean them. But it does give us a category and a posture uh, in which to walk with Jesus. Right? So there's lament. I'm sorry, there's confession. So now what we're going to do for about the next eight minutes or so um, is we're going to practice some prayers of confession in your small groups. That's scary. I know. Watch out. Um, So I want to encourage you guys to be as vulnerable as you feel safe being vulnerable in your table groups here, Um, but to practice these kind of prayers, right? Praying to God, being honest about who he is, honest about your own sins, and then how does that affect the people around me? Praying for those people as well. Okay? It's scary. I know. Um, we'll go. Uh, dear Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus, a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses and who laid down his life for them and invites us uh, through his life and death, through his shed blood and resurrection to to walk in fellowship with him. Um, and thank you for the gift of confession, the opportunity to agree with you, to be in step with you. And thank you that as we do so, uh, we know that those sins have already been washed uh, clean of us. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's turn to lament for the next few minutes. It'll be helpful to turn back to your first page there um, and think about these four key relationships. So sin, uh, confession is me taking responsibility for my own sin in the world, the ways that I've contributed to the breaking of shalom. Um, And lament is acknowledging all the other ways that the world is broken, all the other ways that sin has shattered God's good creation. Um, So that could be sin against me, ways in which I have been the victim of other people's sin. Um, And also just as we see in the world, um, all the ways that things are not the way they should be. I heard somebody over here just a minute ago um, saying, you know, we even just think about the past couple weeks, we look on the TV and we see school shootings and all kinds of terrible things. And we're just like, God, where are you? How long? Why is it like this? And, and that, that's a hard question, which we don't have time to go into just now. But, uh, but God has given us a vocabulary uh, to pray when we experience those things, and it's lament. And at, depending on how you count it, at least a third of the book of Psalms are prayers of lament. A full third of the prayer book and the songbook that God has given to his people are psalms of lament. God himself laments over the sin in the world. We see Jesus and his humanity lamenting over sin, lamenting over the death of a dear friend, lamenting that uh, those in Jerusalem um, who he would have welcomed with open arms turned away from him. 
Um, so God has given us a huge vocabulary for that. And you'll see here in that, again, in that first green box, what our tendencies are to do when we don't lament uh, is to go in one of two directions, uh, denial or despair, okay? When I've been sinned against, I see sin in the world. These are two very man-centered, human-centered responses. Denial, it's not that bad. It'll be okay. We, we can deal with it. Just put your head down and keep going forward, okay? It'll be okay. Um, and maybe some of y'all are, it'll be okay kind of people. The, the first big fight, Candace and I, maybe the second big fight, Candace and I ever got into. The first one was about a rug. Um, the second one was about, it'll be okay. And I was like, it's not just going to be okay. It won't. <laughs> um, because some of us go to the other place, which is despair. Okay. Nothing is okay. Nothing will ever be okay. It's the, it's the end of the road. It'll never be better. Okay. Just give up. Okay. Um, and both of those are fundamentally me looking at myself. Me looking at the world through a very human lens, okay? It'll just be okay somehow. I don't know how. Just don't deal with it, right? Or just overcome with it's, it's not okay and it never will be, okay? Um, so both of those are me looking at me. But what lament does is in, God invites us when we experience those things, sin against ourselves or sin we see out in the world, to not look through a human lens, but to look through a divine lens and to look at him, okay? To look to God, uh, the one who experienced in his humanity sin against himself. Okay, Jesus knows what it is like to have been sinned against. He experienced deep human suffering, deep injustice in the world. Okay, he knows what it's like. And so we've got these amazing prayers of lament that acknowledge um, our human frailty uh, and also acknowledge God's character and his promises towards us. So we're going to take a look at that, uh, looking at Psalm 6, which you should have before you in your um, worksheets there. Um, and there's sort of four elements. Again, this is simple. Um, there's a lot more that could be said about this, but there's sort of a movement here. Uh, we begin by turning to the Lord. We cry out to him. We boldly ask for help, and we choose to trust. So we begin by turning to the Lord. Psalm 6 begins, O Lord. And uh, I'm going to camp out there for just a second because you'll notice um, that word Lord is all capitals, uh, which means in the Hebrew text, that is God's covenant name, uh, which there's a lot of debate about how you should pronounce it, but kind of the, the most scholarly consensus, which you've seen, no doubt, in the past year in our worship guides and our worship service is um, Yahweh or Yahweh. This is God's covenant name that he's given to his people. And this is revealed for the first time in Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 3. Um, so God has um, commissioned Moses, and he's getting ready to take his people into the promised land. And he's telling Moses the things that he wants to do through him. And Moses is like, so this is in Exodus chapter 3. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel, children of Israel out of Egypt? And the Lord says this. He says, but I will be with you. Okay. And then in verse 13 and following, he says, who, who am I supposed to say their name is? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And that's actually um, virtually the same exact phrase as I will be with you. Um, 
And he says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me, same phrase. And so the word Yahweh um, is sort of a play on the Hebrew word for I am or I will be with you, Ehiyah. Um, and so that phrase, I am who I am, Ehiyah, Asher Ehiyah, is referring to that first phrase, I will be with you. Okay? So this is essentially what Yahweh means, is that I am the God who is with my people. And this is why I love, I love that name, Lord. And there's a huge history into why most translations say Lord instead of the divine name. Um, but I just want you to know, like, whenever you see that name, even in your, like, English Standard Version, it says Lord, right? Remember that when you say that name, when you see that name, um, God's name that we're to ref- that he's given to us, which is absolutely amazing, um, is a reminder that he is with us. He's the God who's with his people. He's the God who redeems his people. He's the God of salvation, the God of redemption. Um, this is one of Jesus's names, right? Emmanuel, God is with us, is a reference to this divine name. All right? So it begins, lament begins by turning to God. Oh, Lord, you are the God who is with your people. You are with us. You will be with us. This is a very relational term, right? So it begins by turning away from myself, turning to God. You are the God who is with us. And then we cry out, right? Be gracious to me, Lord. I am languishing. My bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. I'm weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. This, this is not, this, this actually feels a lot more like despair than it does denial, right? So this is not saying, hey, everything's just okay, but it is a brutal honesty about how hard things are, right? It's a brutal honesty about the way it feels if I have been sinned against by someone I trust or love, okay? It's brutal honesty about when we turn on the news um, and we see another school shooting at a covenant day school, Right? It is a brutal honesty about how hard that is. It's gut-wrenching. But it's not despair because it begins by addressing this to God. I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to God, okay? And God sympathizes with us in those feelings, okay? So it doesn't minimize our experience. And then we ask for help, okay? Be gracious to me, Lord. I'm languishing. This is my experience, right? My bones are troubled. Be gracious to me in that. My soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? That means, Lord, do something about this. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast, your covenant love. All right? Save me. Help me. Heal me. Bring justice to the broken places of this life. We cry out and it's a bold ask for help. Lord, save me from this unsafe relationship. Lord, bring to justice those who would commit harm against children. Lord, raise up the poor. Economic systems that oppress people, Lord, deal with them. And then we choose to trust. And this is, this is the harder part, 
as again, I heard somebody mention over here earlier, we see these horrible things happen. We experience horrible things and we're like, God, where are you? Why didn't you stop this from happening? And that's, that's the real hard question because God could stop horrible things from happening. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. But we choose to trust him because he is God and he is good. And when we choose to trust, it's not a blind faith, but it's a faith that's actually based on God's character and what he has done and who he is. So again, we look at the cross. We see that God is with us in our experience of suffering and being sinned against in this world, right? But he's also with us in the resurrection. He's defeated those things. He has brought justice to the world. He has called to account uh, those who would oppress and harm the vulnerable. He has dealt with those things. And this is where you've got to have a long game view here. There are things that are broken in this world that we will never see in this life set right. But we trust because we see the resurrection that they will be set right. God will deal justly with the broken places in this life. And so we choose to trust because he is the one who is with us. That's real hard because we've all experienced hard things and we'll all see incredibly hard things. There's just emotional punch in the gut and you just don't, don't know what to do. So we cry out. There's a God who knows. He's with us in those places. All right. So um, we have now an opportunity to practice what we just learned about. Uh, and there's, you got lots of material. <laughs> uh, even just think about the past couple weeks, some things that have happened in the world. Um, we've got lots of material. So I'll give you guys about another 10 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes, um, to pray some prayers of lament using this as a model. Oh, God who is with us, Emmanuel, Lord, the world and our own hearts are full of uh, dark places, and we grieve and we do cry out, how long, oh Lord, how long until... Uh, you make the sad things come untrue. Thank you for the hope of the gospel, uh, that you will make all things new, and that we have hope uh, because that is true. So Lord, cause us in the deep places of our hearts to trust that you are good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Holly and I were thinking it might be good to conclude by singing the doxology, which Holly will lead us in, not me. Um, and then, so why don't we stand and we'll do that together and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer.